Meet today's momentum sister. She's a trailblazer, a pioneer, a Jewish mom, and she's making a difference for herself, her family, her community, and the world. Want to know how she does it? This is the Pashmina Podcast, and here is our host, Adrian Gold Davis. So I am thrilled and honored to be sitting here today with Jeanette Winton, who I had the privilege of spending some time with in 2017 when she joined me in Israel on the Momentum Grand Trip. But mostly because I was drawn to Jeanette immediately, aside from her obvious attributes, there's something about Jeanette that is both deeply serious and also filled with joy. And that's a dichotomy that you don't often see in a person. This is a woman who loves to party, but also knows how to work. And she's self-made. And she's an entrepreneur. And she is a corporate executive of her second company. I know your head's about to explode through the front door here. (laughs) Or run out. Or run out, yeah. (laughs) Just sit still. You have something to share with the world, and we need to hear from you. Our, Our listeners need to learn from you what it means in today's society to be a female entrepreneur and executive and to manage, I'm not going to say balance because that I believe is is a misnomer, is to manage the fact that you can have it all but not all at the same time. And how do you do that? So welcome, Jeanette. Thank you, Adrienne. Thank you. So how do I manage being a, which one? Well, I think I want to start with asking you to tell our listeners a little bit about yourself. If you had to give your own bio, standing on one foot, what comes up first in terms of your identity, who you are, and what you think I want from you today? Tell me what you think. Who are you? So I think um, I am just a girl from New Jersey that made her way to Washington, D.C. in 1992. And I have... Uh, a great relationship with Robert, who is shares office space with me, Robert Shear. Your partner. My partner. Romantically and my, otherwise? My romantic partner. Uh, okay, sorry. Uh, and uh, we share office space, yes. My domestic partner, if you will, as Hertz says. And um, he has, uh, we, we share a great life together. We have four children. Uh, his three daughters, who are amazing, and they're all out of the house, and my one daughter, Arielle. Who is uh, so? You're a blended family. We are a blended okay. Let's family. just jump right into this because, as a woman who is running her own business, you said specifically, you said it twice that you share office space with your partner. Which yeah. is not to say that you work together; it's that you share office space. Correct. But essentially, you're together twenty four seven. Is that correct? That is correct. Okay, so this must be a good relationship. It's a great relationship. Is it harder or simpler? If your relationship is solid to work with someone or does it have its own inherent issues, you know, having having your man across the hall from you all the time? Well, he's across the hall, but I would say that when we're in work mode, uh, especially him, um, he's in work mode. So we wave to, to one another throughout the day and we share little success stories or uh, say hello to one another. But Primarily when we're at work, we're at work. Do you ever go over to his office, just give him a kiss or run around the desk, chase him? Absolutely. Oh, I'm Absolutely. so glad to hear that and because I would be so oh, disappointed in you will, if you didn't take advantage of that. He will be mortified if he hears this. Okay. Uh, Shh, don't listen. <laughs> okay, now tell me this. I hope this isn't too personal. You're clearly a blended family. 
How old were his daughters when they joined you and your daughter? Uh, they were, so we've been together for 14 years, and they were all, um, I think Sarah was probably 11, and uh, they were all teenagers, and it was not easy. It was not easy well, at wait first. Wait a minute. You got three teenage girls in I the bargain? Three teenage girls in the bargain. Oh, which my. The... Um, Really, one of the best things that ever happened to both me and my daughter. Really? Uh, my daughter was an only child. And um, I think that having Robert's kids um, really opened up her world and gave her a different view on on everything. So um, shared custody, I imagine? Shared custody. So they spent, Sarah and Emily lived um, with us for a good amount of time that we went back and forth. And Hannah never lived with us. But um, I am grateful for the family that I inherited when I was, um, you know, a, a single mom with an only child and um, really wanted a larger family but didn't have one myself. And it was wonderful to be here in D.C. with no extended family in this area. Oh, a blessing for sure. Um, so it was wonderful to have them in our lives. And I think um, on both ends, Robert's been a great inspiration for Ariel, and he's... Um, Ariel's your daughter. Ariel's my daughter, and Hannah and Emily and Sarah have been um, probably, um, as a matter of fact, I know they've been um, grateful for the impact that I've had on their lives because I did ask them to write me before this interview and just let me know. Are you serious? <laughs> I did. I did ask them to just well, share with me. Well, that was really me. brave of you, and it's a good thing you didn't ask 10 years ago. I'm sure you would have heard very different stories. You're absolutely right. Was the transition difficult? Actually, before you answer that, okay. it occurs to me that you were already self-employed mm -hmm. by the time your families blended, and Correct. I wonder if the transition to making a blended family was easier because you had concerns other than just the family. One of the things I've noticed from many of the women I speak to who are in the throes of blending their families mm -hmm. is that there is so much time and in some cases such over-focus on the home that this tends to exasperate the drama. Whereas you were probably getting up in the morning and going to work. That's correct. That's correct. It's a good point. It's actually a great point because I think um, their feedback has been that um, they watched me. They watched how I um, managed my life and managed my time and saw me go off to work every day and still had time for them and had time for the family and, how? and friends. How? You know, you fit in what's important. And I think that Robert and I... Um, have spent we spent most of our weekends with our kids um whether and now whether we're going to new york or boston or um visiting with his mom or my mom in new jersey we spend a lot of time with our family and we are both hard workers we work long hours right and it's pretty much always been the case we're we're up at 5 30 in the morning and we're in the office by eight or nine because you're let me guess exercising too you're right at 5 30 in the morning <laughs> it's six o'clock okay well then that explains why you look like oh, you do stop. and i look like i do oh you look great five oh, thank you darling i'm just fishing no next point we know that entrepreneurial spirit has always been alive especially in north america but it's been in the last 30 years or so that we've seen a huge upsurge in female entrepreneurship, in large cases, in 
smaller businesses, home industry businesses, businesses that allowed a woman to both be there during the day for her kids and pursue her own dreams. And of course, there's all those multi-level marketing things. But what you did, if you'll excuse me, is you blasted your way into an industry in real estate that has been traditionally a man's world. Did you always know that you would work for nobody? Um, you know, I, I don't think, um, I didn't start out my career thinking that I would be an entrepreneur. Um, my journey led me there. Um, I worked in sales um, in two different organizations, one in the selling Xerox equipment and the other um, with automatic data processing um, in their sales arena, selling um, payroll services. And I think it was um, reaching my limit with those two companies and understanding that at the end of the day, that was as far as I could go. And there was more for me. I felt like I had... Why I, was there no further you could go? It wasn't a gender thing? No, you know, it was never... I'll tell you, I I don't... I never feel like I was held back because I was a, a female and maybe that was my upbringing. Um, I don't think my grandmother or my mother um, or my father or anyone that I was... Um, that I grew up around... Um, ever talked about those things. It, it was never an obstacle. I never looked at it as an obstacle. Um, there might have been times in um, at work that I, I saw that there was some gender inequality and mm -hmm. maybe women weren't rising to the top as fast as men were in both of those companies. But I felt like, for me, it wasn't really about being a woman. It was just having the... Um, having the um, ambition and also the backing of my family. I felt comfortable um, taking a risk, and it was a risk to go off on my own and start my own business. A but financial I, risk, you mean? It was a financial risk, and it was a, um, I guess at the time that I started my business, I was pregnant with my daughter. So Wait a minute. You started your business when you were expecting your first child? Yes. Yes, when I was a few months pregnant. Really? Yes. Did one thing have anything to do with the other? I guess it did. Be, um, I had I had decided, I think, during my pregnancy, I wasn't feeling well, and I decided that I was going to leave my job at ADP. So I was ADP is? automatic data processing, okay. payroll services, okay. produce most of our checks. So um, I decided I was going to leave my job, and I was home, and I was pregnant. And I think, as you said earlier, as you related to families having too much time on their hands to, um, you know, overfocus, overfocus, and <laughs> yeah. sweat the small stuff. Right. And um, I was home, and I realized that after I think about a month of being in my house and pregnant, and there was no way that I was going to be able to stay home. That's so interesting, because so, Jeanette, I got to tell you, when I stayed home after my first child was born, I lived in terror that someone was going to come to the door, knock on it, and say, "Back to work with you." So really, there's a lid for every pot. Mm -hmm. So you mm -hmm. knew, you know, they say a happy mother makes a happy child. So right. you knew to go and pursue your dream. Yeah, I knew that I wanted to start something. I wanted to start a business and find something that I could do where I could be with my daughter and I could have the earning potential that I wanted to have. And um, I was just looking for an opportunity. So I found one 
And um, this started, was the first business that you built. This was the first business. So it was the company was Market Pro Computer Shows. And my dad had come up with the concept in California. And he would he had been in the business for a year or two when he was doing okay in California. And he also ran a comic book company where he would invest in comic books. Really? And he would buy people's collections, and he knew the books inside and out. Really? Really, I really. have a few first editions at home. Oh, he probably, well, he would have been interested. He's he's since um, sold his collections, uh-huh. but he could still value a comic book. Oh, yeah, of course. And um, so anyway, he had these two different businesses and wanted me to start going to the comic book shows and collecting comic books and selling them. And I found another stay-at-home mom uh-huh. um, that happened to be, it was the only woman that I knew in Maryland at the time. It was the um, the daughter-in-law of my parents' best friend from New Jersey was in Maryland, and she was a stay-at-home mom. So I convinced her to go into business with me after asking a few people, and no one wanted to start with me. Wow! So she and I started, and we went up to one comic book convention in Philadelphia, and it was clearly not for me. (laughs) People were all in their costumes, right? (laughs) It was. I looked at my dad. I said, there's no way that I'm going to spend my time valuing comic books and going to comic book conventions. And no one will appreciate your fabulous clothes there either. (laughs) (laughs) Who's going to know that bag you're carrying? No one. So anyway, that was the end of that. So we decided the other business was the, were the computer shows. So I went out to California, and I flew out, and I spent a week in his office. And I came back, and we were on our way. We started, and um, we had some fierce competition in the market, in this market. And everyone said, who is this company coming out of California, this woman, and she's going to do television advertising. And You did television re- advertising? We did television advertising. Were you in it? Because I know you're terrified of no. the camera. No, I was not in you it. You have never been no. the face of anything, have you? That is correct. It's fascinating to me. So you are the power behind the throne, or you are just nervous and afraid of the camera? Nervous and afraid of the camera. It's so interesting. And I would prefer being in the background. Really? Yeah. And yet you're the CEO. You're the president of your company now. Your name is first on the on the website. I looked. Yeah. I um. I'll I'll take credit with a few other people that um, work with me, and actually the entire team, both at Market Pro Computer Shows and Market Pro Home Buyers, um, would. They're just as instrumental and valuable as I am. So it's just my vision. And, and she's humble, people. Yes, <sighs> she's also humble. Okay, Jeanette, I've been in your office. I came when I was in town a month ago. I came to give a class, a spirituality class, in your office, in your beautiful boardroom, where you provided a fabulous lunch. And it was busting at the seams with women. And I noticed as I walked through the office that it was exquisitely decorated and that there was this open plan kitchen in the center of it. And frankly, it felt like a woman was in charge. So I want to ask you three-part question. Part A, how much of your feminine energy, how much womanhood is part of the success of your company or is it just a default? I think, um, well, the office is definitely the feminine part of me. So uh, where Robert and I, when we moved into the space, he 
argued with me and he wanted to move the old wooden desks into the cool new space that I had designed. So I had to put my foot down and we um, created what you observed to be this really cool office space that we, um, we're we proud of. And I think the people that um, that work with us and you know, coming to work every day and the environment we work in and the people we work with are probably that's the most important thing to me is how I spend my time and where I spend my time. So let me ask you this. Is that because as a woman whose life has to move from home to office, and in some cases I would assume seamlessly, and I would assume since your day starts so early, that you needed the work environment to be something um that didn't feel like the old-fashioned workspace? Is that happening around in more companies now, or do you think that that's endemic to a female-led company? I'm not really sure, because I spend a lot of time in my own office and not, <laughs> not too much in other people's, but the, the concept came from um, visiting our kids' offices, both in California and in Boston, and uh, we were really taken back by the openness and how people collaborated in the kitchen and kombucha was served and we would come in and everyone was on their laptops and headphones and sitting in couches and it was a much more relaxed atmosphere. So I said, when I opened my office, I wanted my next office space to look like this. So. And, and does that elevate productivity, happier workforce? Absolutely. Absolutely. It cre creates a great environment. And um, I think the energy and the collaboration in the office is you know, second to none. We really give me a couple of tips, both aesthetically and say emotionally or behaviorally, or more specifically as the boss, to help people feel comfortable and productive enough at work that they reach their potential. What do you do? Hmm. What do you offer? Yeah. What don't you I think, do? I think um, what we do is we. I focus. Um, our team focuses on. Um, communication, and um, there's a um, actually a woman, Jill Scott, that was with Google, and yep. um, I don't know if you've listened sure. to her stuff, actually. Her. Sarah, my stepdaughter, um, brought it to me probably uh, two months ago, and it was about radical candor. Right. And um, it was interesting to, to listen to because she, that's her concept, is being, you know, having emotional connections with people, such deep emotional connections that you can be extremely candid with them and you build a relationship and then you're pretty direct and honest. And I think that's really what the foundation of our business, we all communicate when we have issues or problems with one another. It's we're pretty direct with, with each other. And, and um, when there's praise or um, we actually what we do, we've adopted a, um, a principle that I, I used in my first business, Market Pro Computer Shows, where we once a week we sit in the conference room and we go around the table and talk about our accomplishments for the week. And it really allows not only the sales department, but accounting and operations and marketing and our um, transaction coordinator and people that might not typically be um, in the forefront of a business that allows everyone to sit in the room and understand what everyone else is contributing to make the business and a success. And feel seen. And everyone feels a part of it, and everyone is a part of it. Did you I mean, do that in your home with with your with your four daughters? 
I think they did it for us. I don't think we really... What do you really, mean? What um, do you mean they did it? Well, radical oh, candor? You're going to get yeah. that from a teenage girl, yeah. that's for sure. It's going to be radical <laughs> and it's going to be in your face. Um, how did you... So, do you think you learned that? Was it a, is the house, is the home a laboratory for that? Or has the office become a laboratory for the home? Wow, that's interesting. Um, I'm not sure. I guess, I guess we're... I'm pretty candid and I'm pretty direct, some, sometimes to a fault. Um, so it probably started it at home and um, continued in the office. And then it was pretty funny, again, to, to listen when Sarah played it for us and said, you, you know, you need to listen to this. This is we you, just, Ma. And, I, <laughs> yeah. and it was, I said, wow, well, you know, the, we, we actually, we do that and we subscribe to that program. So I think it's... Um, yeah, communication and the environment and the candor and all and those the things. part two, um, I did. Don't mean to be self-referential, but you did bring me there a month ago to um, give a, a class on a spiritual wisdom class based on our experiences that we had together in Israel, um, and you invited your friends and community on a lunch hour to do that. What made you feel that that would be a benefit. And and did we just happen to be in your office because that's where you were? Or do you do you see that as having some sort of benefit even for because I know that some of your staff was there. Mm -hmm. I really enjoyed all of the discussions, all of the sessions that we had on the JWRP trip. And as a matter of fact, that was probably those were the highlights of the trip for me. Um, the, the learning. Session, the learning. Yeah. Did you the, expect that? Um, I, I had no expectations going into the trip, none. Um, when I heard about the trip and the fact that even though um, I didn't have young children at home, there was a trip that was guided by you and uh, Lori was the founder. Um, and I knew that um, it was something that I wanted to do. So I never read about it. I didn't do any research. My girl, a few people that I knew had gone on the other trip. And when Grand Momentum was announced, I said, sign me up. And you had, did you have any previous background with Jewish spirituality, with learning or studying or reading in any way? Uh, the, the learning um, really came later in life. Um, at Aish, uh, mm -hmm. Robert and I go to the high holidays there. Ah. And when Lori, the founder of JWRP, would speak, I think at her, at the time, her husband was the rabbi. And on the holidays, Lori always, um, she was the she was our focal point. She was my focal point of the holidays. And my mother would come from New Jersey, and my daughter, who didn't really like services, would attend. And our friends would come, and we for years um, hung our hat on that and really learned a lot um, from her. And I think the trip was just a continuation of it. And you and Lori were amazing, and that to me was the best part of the trip. So to be able to bring that to other people that I know and girlfriends and friends that I've invited to come back to services on the holidays, but it's not exactly the same cast, uh, you know, <laughs> not the same people anymore. Um, I wanted to share that experience with them. So I was, when I had asked you on the trip, if you would come to my office and then I got a yes, I, I took it. So. I, you know, it, it was, it was, for me, it was particularly striking. Um, you know, I don't know if you're aware of this, but in traditional Judaism, a man is supposed to stop three times a day to say prayers, once in the morning, once in the afternoon, and once at night. 
And the afternoon one is particularly important because it's supposed to remind you that in the middle of your busy workday, in the middle of the day-to-day where you can think that you're God, you need to stop and recognize that there is something greater than yourself running the world. So speaking at a lunch hour in an office, for me, felt holy, just felt holy. It felt like... And this was part of what intrigued me so much about you, that you could operate at such a high level in terms of your entrepreneurship, of your success, both financially and, and your status and your, your, your everything about you, and to also have such a yearning to give. And that follows through in your philanthropy as well. For example, I know that you are generous beyond belief. I know that the Montgomery County Coalition for the Homeless is one of your beneficiaries. I know that you are fiscally responsible, but also philanthropically responsible. And I want to understand how that came into play. How did you learn how important it is to step up? I think that probably came from my mother and my grandmother um, giving when they didn't have much at all. Um, my grandmother would, she saved pennies and she saved dollars and she would give to um, anyone that needed in, in our community. And uh, everyone was welcome in her home for a meal from the, the garbage men to oh, beautiful her neighbors to people in synagogue that were less fortunate than her. And um, I... This is your grandmother? My grandmother. What was her name? Lillian. Lillian Vitello. She's smiling and at us now. She is smiling. Yeah. <laughs> and um, you make me cry. But then um, I tried to do the same with my daughter. So How we, did you teach your daughter about that? Well, we would, I felt actually I, I donated, but I also felt like being more involved with organizations was important not to just give money, but to give back your time and to actually experience the giving and see who you were helping. So there were many things that we did. Um, We would cook for the men's shelter in Rockville and we would, I was the brownie leader and we would actually cook the meals, but we would bring them. You were a brownie leader as in like brownies and girl guides? Like the tawny owl? Yes, that one. Oh my gosh. Yeah, I wasn't good at that. I was a fairy. <laughs> There's a surprise, was, huh? We had a different kind of brownie troop, but it was great. And we did a lot. We did a lot of uh, a, a lot of volunteering, actually. So we did the um, like I said, cook for the men's homeless shelter, and we served. Beautiful. And we would deliver meals. I remember um, delivering meals in Rockville and Thanksgiving meals, and we would. Um, put together baskets to deliver, and you could just drop the baskets off, or you could volunteer to deliver them to the homes. And I remember doing that with my daughter and gathering some friends and her friends, and she was really taken back when we were going to kids in her school's homes and walking into their kitchens and meeting their families and where she never knew there were people that she was in school with that couldn't afford to buy Thanksgiving dinner, and it was really moving. And I think um, I think that, like I said, my from my grandmother to 
um, myself, and now my daughter um, does some volunteering, and she actually is a mentor um, to some kids that are less fortunate, and um, it's great. So we've done a lot of different things, and there's another list, and that was that occupied a lot of my time when I was um, in between companies. I spent my time volunteering and as a CASA worker and a few other things, but it means a lot to me to give back and to help people. I feel um, I actually feel like that's my mission, um, to give back to people, and I'm very fortunate. Were you named after your grandmother? Uh, I was named after my father's mother. Your father's mother. My father's mother, Jeanette, yeah. Mm -hmm. You know, when I hear you speak, you know, you've talked in depth about how you created your, your office, what it's like to be a blended family, been honest, spoken about a lot of your truths and what made you happy. But your eyes filled with tears when you talked about your grandmother and your mother and giving. So it sounds to me like the genesis of who Jeanette Winton is, is being a giver. Do you want some water? No, I'm good. <laughs> okay, I'm listening. Okay. <laughs> and I feel like, I feel terrified because there aren't a lot of people like you out there. And because there is a generation, your generation, our generation, that are not teaching their children to give. They're not teaching their children the obligation to give back and to give not just finances, but also time and energy to develop empathy. And also that they don't understand that even if you give your time, you must also give 10% of your after-tax income. It doesn't belong to you. It is sent back into the universe as if you are holding it, if you will in trust for those who are in need. You said that your grandmother gave even when she didn't have a lot to give. There's something about the trust of knowing that when you do the right thing, it doesn't matter the position that you're in, you just do the right thing. Mm -hmm. If you had to tell our listeners the greatest gift of being successful, the greatest gift of achieving um, success on a corporate level, at the very least. What would you say gives you the greatest joy? Watching other people succeed, clearly, <laughs> without a doubt. Um, I love to empower people and find people's ability, you know, their their strengths, and everybody has them. It's just a matter of finding them and building people's helping build their confidence and putting them in the right position to allow them to shine. And um, and what would you that, tell your sisters, our sisters out there mm -hmm. listening to us? What would you tell them if they can't find a Jeanette to mentor them? What should they do? Give us some simple ideas about not giving up, about believing in yourself, where to go for it if you're not getting it handed to you. You know, I think, um, I think, People need to be true to themselves, and they need to think about their um, their goals and their visions and their aspiration. And um, I think that anyone can do anything that they put their mind to, and there's usually a reason that people don't achieve what they want to. It's, 
we're, we're usually our own roadblocks. What do you mean by that? Oh, there's a reason. You mean we get in our own way? We get our own, in our own way. How do people sure. most frequently get in their own way? They don't put one foot in front of the, the other. They don't take the steps to do what they need to do to, to, to realize their dream or fear, fear of failure. Um, Have you ever failed? Sure, sure. Yeah. Was it your first attempt in learning FAIL or were you ever devastated? I've been devastated with things. Yeah, I've been devastated, but um But you put one foot in front I of the next. I put one foot in front of the other and I learned with all of the companies that I worked for um to to set goals and to set personal goals and set business goals and it's another um program that we actually follow from um, Google and um, we, we set objectives and key results or SMART goals. SMART goals. And, um, Small, manageable, time specific, specific measurable, goal. attainable. Goal. Right. And uh, realistic right. and time bound. So would you suggest and, that women hold themselves accountable to SMART goals? I think that's a great idea. Yeah, I think if if you look at any, uh, uh, you can Google smart goals and you can set personal goals, you can set business goals. And I think it's having the, um, you know, you can always find friends or family to support you or a mentor or call me or call you or somebody that they met on one, on the JWRP trip, I'm sure would be available. And um, I think you need to set your sights high or wherever you want to go. The, the, the world's your oyster. You really need to, you know, take advantage of um, whatever gift you were given and make the most of it like you have. Well, I would also say um, that this advice that you're giving us applies not only to corporate life, but also to family life mm -hmm. and to our creative life and to whatever it is that you wish to do. This is not a judgment or a question about the goals we have. Some women's goals are going to have nothing to do with being out in the corporate world. But each and every one of us has an obligation to ourselves Mm -hmm. to become our fullest potential. And I see that you, if I'm to take anything away from this, I just, I just want to sort of rope this up for myself. Essentially what you're saying to me is that you need to be clear and concise about what you want. You need to not be cowed by failure. You need to put one step in front of the other. Mm -hmm. You need to shoot for what you're looking for except that there will be downturns, and to keep going. I also heard you say that, that it's important to be disciplined, if that means getting up at 5.30 in the morning so that you can work out and then be at the office and save your weekends for your family. Again, you can't have it all at the mm -hmm. same time, but you can have it all. You have your dreams. I think so. I have to say that... You are, in my mind, an example of how incredibly powerful a woman can be when she truly goes to herself, speaks her own truth, and ensures that she empowers those around her. And since you said your greatest pleasure is watching others succeed, and because you have deep humility, 
I think all of us listening have been extraordinarily privileged to receive the wisdom that came from your grandmother to your mother to you and now to the thousands and thousands of people listening to us. Thank you, Jeanette. Thanks for having me. A tremendous gift. You're amazing. Thank you. Thanks for making me do this. (laughs) I'm glad I did. Thank you for joining the Pashmina Podcast. When women empower one another, we ignite a force that can change the world. Unlock your power today. Don't forget to rate, review, and subscribe to Momentum Podcasts on Apple, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. You're listening to a Momentum Podcast. For unlimited inspiration, wisdom, and empowerment, visit MomentumUnlimited.org.